It's really wonderful to be able to preach this morning. Um, so we've been doing a series um, out of 1 Corinthians called The Way of Love. And we're getting back to our series this morning. And uh, I want to speak about sex again today. So I think it's the last time that I spoke out of Corinthians was about sex. So I'm continuing speaking about sex today. And I want to title this message called Honor God with Your Body. And I hope that it's going to bring you freedom. I hope it's going to bring grace into your life. I hope it's going to help you to think about your sexual life in a way that honors God, whether you're courting, whether you're married, whether you've been married like me for many, many years, that all of us would learn what it means to honor God with our bodies. And I want to really say this as an introduction. It really does matter how you think. And I'm going to give you some examples today of how people have thought about different issues in the world that has brought great suffering to the world because people have taken ideas, absorbed them, and have begun to live them out. And I want to say this to you. If you want to live a joyful, happy life, part of how you need to think clearly is about your sexual life and what you do with your body. It's either going to bring great joy and freedom and liberty into your life, or it's going to bring pain and suffering and broken relationships into your life. It really does matter how you think about what you do with your body. All right? That's what I want to start with this morning. So if you'd like to have a look in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you want to follow along with me from verse 12, we're going to go from verse 12 to verse 20. And I'm reading from the NIV. It says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, Paul repeating, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food is for the stomach and stomach is for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? So then, should I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is unified with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own you were bought with a great price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is such a beautiful, beautiful, powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And I really hope you're going to be encouraged and set free to live a life that honors God in every way. All right? And so Paul here, just to recap, because we haven't been in Corinthians for a while. Paul is addressing issues in the church that were damaging the church in Corinth, right? Remember, it's a multicultural, very exciting place to be, Corinth. It's people from all over the world, lots of business people that have come to Corinth to make their fortune. It's a port city. It's exciting. 
there's uh, lots of um, temples to various um, gods there. So there's a sense of uh, pagan worship as well. And it's into this context that Paul plants this amazing church. And now he's got some challenges, all right? And so he's spoken to the church. Remember in chapter 1 about disunity because um, they're preferring one leader over another. This is my favorite guy. I like it when he preaches. I don't like it when that guy preaches. And so there's division in the church around leadership. Um, then he spoke to them also. Some of them loved, Greeks loved wisdom, knowledge as the highest form of, of knowing God was wisdom. And so they loved wisdom, and it was starting to separate the church because some people felt superior to others, that, you know, um, I'm, well, I've got more revelation than you. And so they began to look down on each other, and it began to make disunity in the church. So he challenges them on that. Uh, Ed um, preached a wonderful message about Paul also saying, don't take each other to court over trivial matters. Settle things in the church because they were taking each other to court about issues and the legal issues, small things, and pagan judges were judging them. So Paul says, don't do that. You guys can work it out. It's, there's unity in the church. Love each other. Forgive. Don't take each other to court. And then in chapter 5, I already, like I said, preached on this a, a month or two ago. He starts to speak about sexual immorality in the church, and now he, con he returns to it in the portion that we've read today. And the main point in this passage is Paul saying to all of us through the Corinthians, learn to use your body in a way that is right, in a way that is fit for purpose, and honor God. In your body. And Paul is actually saying remarkable things about our bodies in this passage. What makes it quite clear that one of the most serious problems he was facing in the church is that the Corinthians were sexually immoral in various ways. And he starts here, he quotes two slogans that were quite common at the time, and he uses them. And he says, you saying this. And so he, he kind of brings a challenge to them as he, as he repeats what they're saying. And the first slogan th that they uh, were saying, which was justifying their sexual behavior, I have the right to do anything. I am free. I have the right to do anything. Anyone um, heard that in our it's a remarkably contemporary language? I have the right to do anything. I am free. As long as it's consensual, as long as I don't damage anyone else, I have the right to do anything. And then Paul he repeats that twice. Uh, other translations say, everything is lawful for me or everything is permissible for me. These are the, the other translations put it in that way. And it's like exactly what many people in our culture would say today. Um, I have the right to do anything. I'm free. As long as it's consensual, it's okay. And Paul, Paul brings some clarity to that, this as he goes forward. Um, you don't, people might say it like this in our culture, you don't have the right to tell me what to do. I'm free, I'm a free person and I can do what I like. Don't put your outdated morality on me. I'm free, all right? That's the kind of language our culture uses today. And I just want to once again remind you that Paul's teaching, the New Testament, New Testament teaching on sexuality in Paul's day was radical and absolutely revolutionary. And we must never forget that because we look back now on the Bible with 2,000 years of hindsight, having a, a grown up in values that were planted then by people like Paul that we just enjoy today and take for granted. And this is what I mean. One of the greatest differences in the ancient world where we see the interface between Christianity and other pagan cultures was around the issue of sexuality and how you behaved sexually. And I want to say to you, it is still uh, the, today where our culture and Christianity clash most is, is around. It's one of the areas where there's a lot of tension is how you behave sexually. 
is where one, one area where our culture still bashes heads with Christianity. And I want to just remind you of this. In Greek and Roman culture, women had no rights. Ladies, in ancient Greece, and, and despite what people say, when you look at history, women had no rights. They were the property of their husbands. To be born a Roman man was to be the head of your household in this sense, is that you had sexual rights to any man, woman, child, slave, scullery servant, manservant that you chose in your house. You had sexual rights to that. And if you don't believe me, go and read some history books for yourself, historians that do have documented these things quite clearly. The male in the household, in the Roman household, had sexual rights to anyone who was in his household. There were no rights as we understand human rights. There was no equality as we understand equality. And it is true that Christianity birthed dignity and respect for all people, demonstrated in a profound letter by a little Jewish man, bald man called Paul, who wrote in Galatians 3, 28, these radical, revolutionary words that have changed the whole of Western culture. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free, but all are one in Christ. Yes, and in that statement, he unleashed something into culture that has changed the way that the Western world has functioned and what the Western world has began to value. It is a Christian idea. Equality is a Christian idea. It is not a humanist idea. And I'm really passionate about this, so if I'm loud today, that's tough. Secular humanists, secular humanists have tried to now hijack this and say that actually these values of human dignity and equality have always been found in every culture all over the world. I say lies. Go and have a look how every other culture, whether it's Chinese or Muslim or any other culture, has treated equality. Ladies, today, would you say there's equality? No. So that's a lie to say that actually these things have always been there, and if we just can become more human, we'll understand them, and we'll respect each other, and we'll know the good in each other. This is a profoundly Christian idea. It's not rooted in Greek philosophy. It's not rooted in Roman culture, in ancient Chinese culture. It is a Christian idea that God has created all people equal, and that we all have dignity in Him. And it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Chinese or Jamaican or African or European. You are in it, made in His image, and because of that, you have value and equal dignity under God. Every single person. Come on. And even if you want to read a book where a secular humanist called Tom Holland. Anyone heard of Tom Holland? Amazing historian. Go and read his book called Dominion, where even he, as a secular humanist, has admitted and said, the ideas, the very ideas that we swim in, in terms of our Western culture, of equality and human dignity, are Christian. And he's had to admit it himself. You can go on YouTube. He's an amazing man. You can hear what, he's, what he says. And so I want to just say, having said all of that, Francis Schaeffer was a guy that... Um, 
was a Christian philosopher. He was in Switzerland for many years until he died in the 60s and 70s. And what he would do, he would have people come and stay with him in Switzerland. And he'd talk about philosophy with young Christian people. And he wrote an amazing book called How Then Should We Live? which talks about how the gospel transforms your life and how you live it out. And one of the things that he said that's always stuck with me when I first read this book, he says it's vital to take philosophy and ideas that people have and extrapolate them to the logical conclusion to see whether they are good or bad. Yes? That's, what, that's how we can begin to judge. When someone says something and it's a new idea, well, let me think about that. Let me, let me see where that ends up and what that does. And then I'll decide whether it's good or not. And sometimes it takes hundreds of years for that to happen. But I want to give you two examples that you might never have heard of these people, but that's why I said it's really important how you think. But these ideas have affected your life. All right? And the first person is a guy called Nietzsche. Anyone heard of Mr. Nietzsche, a German philosopher? And uh, he wrote a book in 1883 called Also Spracht Zarathustra. You've heard of that book before? Thus says Zarathustra. You've heard the music. Richard Strauss wrote a, a piece of music. Ba, 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 ba. Have you heard that piece of music? You've probably heard it in adverts all over. It's, and, and what was Nietzsche's big idea? His big idea was that there must be Ubermensch. Superman, uber, over, mensch, people, uber, mensch. And his big idea was that we need to throw off God, throw him out of our thinking and our culture and rise as human beings, as super beings, uber, mensch. So you might say, well, what that has to do with my life? Well, he wrote that book in 1833. You can see it expressed through the music of Richard Wagner. Anyone of Richard Wagner? Das Ring des Nebelung, the superhuman race that come to rule over others. Yes? Anyone heard of Adolf Hitler? And I, everyone says, when I speak to my boys, say, don't ever use Adolf Hitler as an example, Dad. It's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not good thinking. I want to say, in this case, it's absolutely profound thinking. Because what did he do? He adopted the idea of ubermensch. Those are going to be over others. And he adopted it in a racial way and said, actually, there is an ubermensch that is over others. And he lived it out. And he killed millions of people. Yes? These ideas are profound. It's, we see it in the music of Wagner, in the Aryan politics of Hitler. Ideas always have consequence for good and for bad. So let me bring it back to the sexual area. Anyone heard of uh, the Marquis de Sade? Yeah, it's, it's where we get the name sadistic from is because of the Marquis de Sade. Uh, he was a man that lived during the French Revolution, and he said, he was a philosopher, he said, the highest goal we have as human beings is to live out what we feel. And we, and, he, and just like Nietzsche hated Christianity, so did the Marquis de Sade because he said, no, Christianity controls you. And the highest goal that we have as human beings is just to live out what we feel. And we are completely free. And so we can live out what we feel. And he lived out that out sexually. And so these, if you talk about the Marquis de Sade today, his name is synonymous with decadence, with absolute uh, de deviance, with uh, 
depravity, with sadism. The word sadism, he enjoyed inflicting pain on other people. That's where we get the name sadistic from, the word, the Marquis de Sade. What he acted out sexually, he lived a totally debauched lifestyle because he said, it is my right, I am absolutely free to do whatever I want. And this God of the heavens and these Christians constrain my freedom so I will throw freedom off, throw it off so that I can be free. All right, you might say this is a bit... Radical. Well, it is radical when you see how it has affected all of our lives. And those things of, of the Ubermensch, we see all those things uh, lived out as well. And uh, in the 18 and 1900s, why do you think there was so much colonial, colonialism from Europe across the world to other countries where people said Europeans are superior and we racially can dominate people? Why do you think they were living out? We are Ubermensch. We have a right to dominate other people by our intellect. And it was happening in America. And when I, where I grew up in South Africa, there was a guy called Hendrik Favut, who studied in Germany in the 20s. And he uh, got his doctorate in Leipzig and Berlin. And then he went to America where these ideas were being formulated in the south of America which was also going to suffer under segregation. And he took these ideas back to South Africa. And he said, we need to segregate people based on the fact that Caucasians are superior to other human beings. And it caused devastation and still causes devastation in the country that I was born in. We need to be honest about the ideas that produce the, the world in which we live and repent of those ideas. We are one in Christ. Male, female, black, white, Chinese, Indonesian, all are one in Christ. There's none that is superior to other. We all desperately need a Savior, and His name is Jesus. And so let's get back to our passage. Because here, Paul is really speaking about freedom. And I, I want to say to you, it really matters how you think about freedom, particularly with your body. And listen to what Paul does. It's interesting. He takes these slogans that were used in the, in the culture, and he doesn't deny them, but he qualifies them. And this is the great gift of Christian teaching and Christian faith. He qualifies it. He knows that people are free. And he knows that Jesus has come to make us free. Isn't that true? Yes, we are free in Christ. Who is in Christ? He is free indeed. We are free. Paul, Paul knows that. So in a sense, he does agree with the sense of what the slogan is saying, that we are free in Christ. But he qualifies it with a but. Do you know that? See that? Twice, he introduces a, a but. He says it balances this idea of freedom. Each slogan is followed in this way. I have the right to do anything. Paul agrees. You have the right to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. I will not be mastered by anything, he says. And so Paul wants warning the Corinthians, and he wants you and I to understand by extension that all of us are put on this planet to enjoy God and enjoy the freedom that He brings in every area of our life, this beautiful world that we are uh, enjoying and living in. But He doesn't want us to use our freedom, so push it so far that we begin to damage ourselves. Yes? And this is the great gift for me 
of Christianity. It's the great gift of the seed of, of freedom and responsibility that Christianity sows into our culture. We are completely free in Christ, absolutely. But nothing must begin to reign over me. Nothing must begin to set my appetites, my habits, or the surrounding atmosphere of the culture mustn't begin to subtly pressure me into accepting and valuing certain lifestyles or certain things that the culture says is okay. Yeah? We are absolutely free, but at the same time, we are constrained by love to love other people. And so it means I choose not to act out on the freedom that I could do in my relationships. Are you with me? This is a great gift. So Paul, he shifts the responsibility back onto individual Christians to think about what is actually helpful in their lives, what habits and practices will begin to master them if they don't take control of them, particularly in sexual behavior. And there's nothing good, my friends, that comes from sexual immorality. It breaks marriages. It shatters homes. It shatters the security of children. It brings all the agony and guilt into your life and regret that is so hard to repair. It brings all these things into our lives. We are free, says Paul. You are absolutely free, says Paul. But sexual sin always has consequence. And he says, most of all, it has consequence in your own body. We're going to look at what that means. And so I want to put it to you this morning, friends. As you conduct your life and as you court and as you go forward and as you marry and have kids, even when you're an old man like me and been married for 30 years, that you're still honoring God with your body. Well, what does that mean? I, I want to say it means this. We should always ask ourselves these kind of questions before we choose to act out on anything. Is this going to help my emotional state? Is this going to help my health? Is this going to affect my spiritual sensitivity to God? Is this going to damage somebody else if I do this? With, will this help me understand God and His Word? Will this damage someone else's conscience if I do this? What will it do for the testimony of God and for His church and for the testimony of what Christians are and how Christians behave and what they do? I think those are the kind of questions we should be considering before we act out anything. Yep. And so Paul's point is that freedom that leads to addiction is not really freedom at all. True freedom is when you are absolutely in control of your life by the power of the Spirit and nothing is enslaving you. Not your anger, not your sexual drive, not your appetite, nothing is controlling you. You are free in Christ and that freedom is demonstrated through your life in how you live. And so then he, 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 um, he quotes a second uh, a second common phrase in the Corinthian church, the second slogan, food is made for the stomach and stomach is made for the food, you say. He quotes them again. That's obviously what they've been saying. And the implication is quite clear. Sex is made for the body and the body is made for sex. That's the implication and why they're using that. And again, Paul, he doesn't challenge the fact that we are made sexually with our bodies for a particular purpose. But he does say that how you use your body it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not positive to use your body for any and every sexual encounter or practice. It, it, that's the but that comes in. And so in chapter 7, we're going to see in a couple of weeks or months, I don't know, he talks about the amazing gift of sex in marriage. 
and he talks about how we should, as husbands and wives, really enjoy our sexual relationship and not withhold from each other, but really be conscious of your blessing to the other person with your body. And it's to be enjoyed in marriage. It's to be celebrated. But he starts here in this portion by making it quite clear that not every sexual practice that takes your fancy is good for you. <laughs> All right? And this is particularly pertinent in our culture as we're going to look at in terms of other things like the internet and pornography and all those things that are so easily, easily available. And he says, it really does matter what you do with your body. It really does matter because sexual sin damages you. And what it ultimately does is it perverts an understanding of what your body is made for and what your body does in honoring God. And that's what he points us to. And so he doesn't start by saying, you know, if you're sexually immoral, it's gonna, you might contract some STD or some other disease. And isn't that how culture do, does stuff, isn't it? Well, as long as we treat the STD, it's all okay. Behave as you like. We'll just treat, this, we'll just treat the result of your behavior. Behave as you like. You're free. We'll just abort all the children. But just behave as you like. You know, you're free. Tries to take the consequence away of the behavior. But actually, Paul is saying, no, actually, it does matter. As a Christian, if you're a pagan, behave as you like. But as a Christian, it really doesn't matter how you honor God with your body and what you do with your body. And so he begins here a thought that culminates in chapter 15 when he talks with, about them with the resurrection of the body. Isn't that amazing? Paul says you must limit yourself and be careful what you do with, with your body now because you are going to be in a glorified, resurrected body one day. He points them there. He doesn't start with all that stuff now. He says, no, remember, this is in your future. You are going to have a glorified um, body one day. And so don't use your body now for sexually immoral things because your body is not yours. Your body has been bought with a great price. Your body is Jesus. He has bought it. It is his now. It belongs to him. And actually, this physical body is going to be glorified one day in a glorified, resurrected form. So be respectful of what you do in your body now. It's a very different starting point. It's not just trying to treat the, the symptom. It's actually saying, well, what is producing the symptom? And let me address that. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, said the Corinthians. And this basically betrayed a Greek way of thinking, which scorned the body said the body's of no use. This is called dualism. What is really important is your spiritual side of you. And what doesn't count for anything is the physical side of you. Your body's going to die. It doesn't matter what you do in your body. As long as you are a spiritual person, it doesn't matter how you be behave in your body. That's what Greeks believed. It was a dualism that they held to. And our culture thinks still in a very much a Greek way. It doesn't matter what you do with your body. Um, it's just a physical thing, having sex with someone. So if you have the need to have sex with someone, go and have sex with them. doesn't really matter. doesn't matter if you have it with multiple partners all at the same time. You know, it's just a physical thing. Uh, you know, when you really, you'll you really feel when you love someone, and then you kind of start behaving a little bit differently. Now, Paul says, no, no, that's not how it works. Well, what he's trying to help them to understand is that actually sex is not just physical. It is wrong to indulge it just with anyone that you choose. 
And he says again, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. He's trying to help the Corinthians see that actually their relationship with Jesus is not just a spiritual relationship, but it is also physical in this sense that they are called to honor God through their body because God works through us fully as human beings through our bodies here on earth. Our spirit and our body is connected. It is unified. You can't separate the one from the other. This is a Greek way of thinking. You know, your soul separates when you die and goes up to some eternal thing up there. Heaven. Jewish Christian thinking is not that. We certainly, it says that actually when we die, there's a place where we will be in God's presence. And there are various words for that, paradise. Some people say heaven, but that's not where you stay. No, no, no. The final, the final place for Christians is a glorified heaven and earth, a new heaven and earth, where we are raised in our bodies and we'll be able to see that it's each other. We'll be able to recognize each other somehow. I don't know how it works, but somehow we'll be able to recognize Johnny and Alex and Helen and you and me. We'll be able to recognize each other and we will be raised in a glorified body and we reign here, here in the new heavens and the earth, not, not somewhere in some cloud up there. This is the Christian message. This is the gospel. We get to reign in a new heaven and a new earth. And so Paul is incredibly positive. He's not just saying don't do negative things. He's being incredibly positive and he's saying God wants all of you. He wants your whole life. And once he's, he's bought you with a great price, he wants all of you. And he wants you to dedicate, consecrate your whole life, including your body and what you do with your body, to him. Sorry, I'm having too <laughs> And that's where he lands. Verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So he's trying to point them to the future. He's saying, actually, there's, I don't fully, like I said, I don't understand it fully, but he's saying part of your future is a resurrected, glorified body, and it really matters what you do with your physical body now. And there's some continuity between the two. So be wise in how you live. And so then he goes in verse 17, and it's, he now gets specific and says, there were some men in the church, in this church in Corinth, that were saying, I'm free, I'm under grace. I'm going to sleep with a prostitute. It doesn't really matter because it doesn't matter what I do with my body. And Paul says, excuse me. Do you not know that your body is the member of Christ himself? You belong to Jesus. So shall, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? And it's, it's, yes, it's clear that there was temple prostitution, but it's also clear that it was a port city and I grew up in a port city and prostitution was just there because that's what sailors do when they come to port, isn't it? And so Paul is acknowledging that, but then he's saying, be careful in how you continue to live and continue to make the right decision. He says, no, no, you don't do that kind of stuff because simply you are a member of Christ's body and he, you belong to him. And then he quotes Genesis about marriage and he quotes Jesus in Matthew who says the same thing and he says this, never do you not know that one who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? The Christian teaching on sex is that something happens when you sleep with someone. 
and you become one with that person. And so you don't become one with a whole lot of people in casual sexual encounters. You become one with a lifelong partner that you're committed to. It really does matter what you think and how you live. And so what Paul is saying, if I can just put it bluntly, he's saying you can't simultaneously belong to Jesus the Messiah and a prostitute. It just doesn't compute. You cannot do the two simultaneously. You cannot belong to Jesus the Messiah and multiple sexual partners as you just kind of do what you want to do. There's no such thing in the, for Christian in, as a casual sexual encounter. Is there forgiveness in Christ? Absolutely. Is there forgiveness if we've behaved badly in our past? Absolutely. But I'm trying to encourage you to live now continually differently as you go forward. Absolutely. And so Paul's point is when you behave in a sexually immoral way, you are misusing something that doesn't even belong to you because your body doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to Jesus. He's bought it with a great price. It's his, and you honor him with your body. Amen? And then he says, we are all indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we are ask, he's asking us to present our bodies and offer them up as a living sacrifice. So it's ugly, it's weird, it's grotesque, it's illogical for a Christian man to put himself in the arms of a prostitute. That's what Paul is saying. Just don't do it. And what does is, what is, what is he, what is he use? I'm sure he's thinking of Joseph at this point when he says, flee from sexual immorality. Yes? Do you remember? Genesis 39, verse 6. Remember Potiphar's wife, this beautiful woman, is trying to seduce Joseph. And he's like, he's doing his best to resist her. And then one day she comes, she comes directly to him and says, come sleep with me. And what does it say? Joseph thought about it. He considered and he said, oh, you know, I'm strong enough to handle this. No, I can do this. I'll just stay in the room with her while she undresses and I'll actually be okay because I'm, I'm strong. Does it say that? No, it says, Joseph fled. He got out of there. He left his robe behind and she tried to accuse him that he had done something that he hadn't. But he got out of there. He knew, he, he knew this is the situation that is not good for me. I'm out of here. And gentlemen and ladies, can I say to you this morning that we all face similar moments to Joseph in our lives where you know you've got to get out of there. Just flee. Get out. And for some of you, it might be a movie. Some of you, it might be a, a magazine. Some of you, it might be the internet. Some of you, it might be a book that you're reading, if you know it's there and enticing you in a way that is not godly, flee, get out. Don't consider it, oh, you know, it's okay, man, our culture, you know, our culture says it's okay. Honor God with your body. Honor God with your body and how you value sex, what you see and what you do. Uh, Tom Wright puts it like this, anything that is produced with the aim of arousing you sexually and with the aim of making money is a kind of prostitution one step removed. Isn't that true? And when we go in Cambodia and we see all these poor, these young women that are devastated by the sex industry, who's, who goes there? Men like me from Australia and Great Britain and France, all over the world, and what they do they live out their sexual fantasy that they've been observing through pornography for years and years. 
So they go take some girl, they beat her, they're violent, they abuse her. They're just living out what our culture says. It's okay. I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody if you look at all this stuff. It doesn't hurt anyone. Pay your money. It hurts someone somewhere. Always. I was reading that even in St. Albans, they've just uncovered some rings of prostitution right here in our quiet little upper middle class city. Who goes to those women? Probably the bankers and the lawyers that are on the train with you. <laughs> Helen's going. <laughs> and what does he do? Finally, he appeals to a foundational Christian doctrine, the cross and the Holy Spirit. Remember in chapter 3, he already said, Paul said to us in verse 16, the whole of his, God's church is the new temple. Remember he said that, chapter 3? And now Paul says, you know, that's not just true for the whole church. It's true for every individual Christian, everyone that has put their trust and their faith in Jesus. And he says, the temple where God dwells is your body. Yes, so in the ancient world, why did they have all the temples where they worshiped all the, all the gods? Because there was people mediated in the temple and they believed that the God came down from everywhere the God was into the temple and then they worshiped in the temple. And Paul takes that image and says, no, no, the temple is no longer in Jerusalem. The temple is no longer in a place. The temple is now your body and the love of Christ and the presence of Jesus and the eternal Father dwells in this temple, which is your body. So be careful what you do with your body. You can't say to Jesus, uh, thank you for buying me with a great price. Would you please leave for the next 10 minutes while I indulge myself? You see, it just doesn't work like that. You are forever bought with a great price. You are forever dwelt indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You were bought with a great price. That's what Paul says in the closing verses. Therefore, honor God with your body. And I want to put it to you that Paul is really exhorting all of us to live as the kind of human beings that God has always intended us to be. Human beings that bring glory to him human beings that are made in his image, who are aware that his son has bought us with a great price, and that his son has rescued us from everything that stops us becoming the kind of person God wants me to be. That's what Jesus has done for me. He's rescued me from all of that, all of my anger, my bitterness, my pain, my sin that stops me becoming like Jesus. He has rescued me from that, and now he indwells me by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he says, and I want you to give your whole life. I want you to consecrate yourself. What does Paul say in Romans 12? Therefore, in the light of trying harder, in the light of wanting to be a good person? No, no. In the light of God's mercy, because he's been good to you, because he's been good to me, because he's bought us, because he's lavished his grace upon us. In the light of God's mercy, Offer up your body as a living sacrifice. This is pleasing and acceptable worship to God. It's not that we are forced to do stuff as priests. No, no. 
we offer up willingly because God has done everything for us in Jesus. And we offer him up our whole lives, including our body, including our sexual behavior, whether that's outside of marriage or in marriage. We honor him with our bodies. Amen. Flee and honor. <laughs> Amen. Let me pray for you. I hope someone's going to have coffee with me after that message this morning. All right, Jesus. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the, the privilege of being alive. Thank you for the joy of life. Thank you for just all of us in different places, different ages. Thank you that you made us sexual beings. Thank you that you've given us this great blessing in our lives to enjoy. But Lord, help, help us to handle it well. Help us to honor you. Help us to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, to see things differently. Help us to repent of ideas that perhaps we've inherited from our past that have shaped how we live. Help us to throw them off when we see they don't conform with your kingdom and your likeness and who you are and your love for other people. Help us to shake off everything that entangles so that we can run the race, that we can love Jesus with all of our hearts. And Lord, I pray in our church that you would help us as we love each other, as we um, have our families, as we journey together, that we, you teach us what it means in all things to honor God with our bodies. Thank you that you indwell us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for that great gift. Thank you for the great gift of freedom that you've lavished on us. But Lord, we want to live in a way where we're making the right choices and honoring you in everything we do as we go forward. And we trust you that you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen.